All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fuck Tuckians? What the fuck Anistas? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is WTF, my podcast. Welcome to it. Nice to have you. Uh, how are you? Let's just let's just talk about you for a second. What's happening? Everything okay? Uh-huh. Oh, really? Well, that's good. Oh, it's not good. Sorry, I misunderstood the tone. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, that's bad. I don't know how I... Yeah, I'm an idiot. No, I'm sorry for not being more sensitive. I just... I don't I don't know you that well, and it, you sound excited, but now I know that you're really upset. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. Oh. Oh, but it's better? Oh, okay. So that's better. Yeah? Good. Well, that's good. It's nice that you have a few things in your life that, you know, you can at least fall back on as being okay and not just that one thing but that'll get better right oh you don't know well maybe it will hopefully it will right uh-huh okay well we'll see what happens but yeah i mean i i would just uh you know keep doing what you're doing right and if it's not hurting you you know only you can know anyway i hope that conversation was enjoyable for you i enjoyed my side uh what's going on this is the first day back in the garage that's right i talked about Rewatching The Sopranos, which I'm still doing, and it seems like a lot of people are doing it. That, that's the weirdest thing about serendipity or coincidence or things that are beyond coincidence. Somebody told me that Stern had talked about rewatching it, and then other people were emailing me, and they're like, well, I just started watching it too. I mean, I don't know what's in the air, what's compelling those of us who share that impulse to go watch The Sopranos again. Maybe it's some type of stability. Maybe there was a time where Every Sunday, we would look forward to that thing, and it gave us stability, knowing that we would be jarred and excited to watch The Sopranos. I don't know, but I can't stop watching them. I'm happy I am. Though it has triggered some things. It's triggered some things. What can I tell you? Today, on the show, Chris Garcia is here. He's a comedian. He's open for me before. I enjoy his comedy. He's very funny. He's got a new album coming out called Laughing and Crying at the Same Time. Uh, although, actually, it's available. I'm just getting this in, just just in <laughs> that it's 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 now available, but it's going to come out on vinyl on the 30th on root beer colored vinyl. So he'll be here soon. I would like to mention uh, an old friend of the show, an old buddy of mine, Mike Doty, has a new album coming out called The Heart Watches While the Brain Burns, which is apparently a quote I said on this show while trying to kick nicotine gum. Happy to help out, Mike. I'm glad you got a record coming out. Uh, it comes out October 14th, and the first video for the single, I Can't Believe I Found You in That Town, premieres today. Today, if you want to watch Mike Doty's video, on the music website, Brooklyn Vegan. Head over to brooklynvegan.com to check it out and pre-order Mike's album wherever you get music. Passionate guy, that Doty. You might know him from uh, the old days in Soul Coughing, but uh, he's a worker, intense shit, good. Good songwriter, good singer, good guitar player. All the shit is good there, right? All my tour dates are up. All the ones that have been rescheduled are now up at WTFpod.com. Uh, the Wilbur coming up quickly next weekend, September 24th. I don't know. I believe there's some tickets for that late show. Campbell Hall at UCSB in Santa Barbara, October 21st. Go grab them. Largo. Here in L.A., October 22nd. Yeah, I think there are tickets. The Ice House, October 23rd in Pasadena. Yup. Carnegie Hall. They're going. Few tickets left. I would do that if you're going to do that. 
November 19th at the James K. Polk Theater in Nashville, Tennessee, the Vic Theater in Chicago, December 3rd. So what's been going on since I last talked to you? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. That's what's been going on. I went over, uh, did a wardrobe fitting, did some pictures, did some camera tests for uh, the shoot for the show Glow for Netflix. Had to shave off a little bit of my shit. So uh, now I look like a stranger in the mirror, but that's good. I need to look like a stranger to myself to become the stranger that I will become that has some similar things that I do. Very exciting. Saw Allison Brie, met a lot of the other people, the other actors. Going to be exciting. I went to the set. I saw the set. It's very exciting. All of it's very exciting. I read the first two scripts. I'm thrilled. And then last night, just spiraled. Just fucking went right down the goddamn self-toilet. Unbelievable. I had forgotten what it felt like to just fall without a net into the never-ending pit of insecurity. Can I do this? Did they pick the right guy? Oh, no. And then, hey, why don't, why don't we look up some psychiatric diagnoses to see maybe what, maybe you're, you're even worse than you thought. Why don't you beat the shit out of yourself for a few minutes about what you ate when you were away? Why don't you do a little of that? Why don't you do it all at once? Have the initial bit of insecurity as opposed to excitement for the new job. Why not go the other way? Why not, instead of going like, this is going to be great, looks fun, everybody's excited, I'm excited. No, let's go like, I can't do it. I'm not the guy. What? A, what I, I'm not good at anything. Jesus, what am I even fucking thinking? Why am I even a comedian? Why do I do a podcast? Acting, that's ridiculous. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I really? Man, just plummeting, plummeting down the beautiful pit of self into the pure damp darkness. What got me out of it? I don't know. I pulled it together. I realized like, hey, this is a, this is a symptom. It's an old fucking symptom of my brain. I'm excited. I'm going to do a great job. The character is good for me. And uh, I don't have uh, any major psychological problems, but I, I do underestimate how emotionally fucked up I am. I like to play that down by not thinking about it. That's one way to handle psychological problems. Hey, you know, I got these problems. Let's not deal with them and not think about it. What do you think of that idea? Sounds good to me. You sure you don't want to take another flight down the pit? Nah. Nah, let's watch The Sopranos. Good idea. So my dad, right? He was up there. I told you he was in Rochester. And look, you know, I've I've let a lot of stuff go. I understand who he is. I know what the deal is. But when I'm freaking out, it all it all leads up to it, you know. I spent you know two days hanging out with him on and off, and that just kind of fucks the wiring up a little bit. He is who he is. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm pretty happy uh, with where I'm at in my life, and I was sharing that with him about all the things I'm doing and uh, the new show. And he was like, you know, he he said he was proud of me. And then after this big long conversation, you know, about maybe a half hour later in the, in the car, he goes. Uh, you know that, uh, what's that kid's name? The Facebook guy, Zucker, Zuckerberg. Yeah, how do you, how do, you do that? How do you, how do you come up with something like that? And in my mind, like, it didn't, it didn't feel like an innocent question. It felt like a giant eraser. It, it just felt like, uh, you're not that guy. He figured it out. You're doing a lot of stuff, but that's Zuckerberg, right? And then he talked about uh, 
you know, winning the lottery, that kind of stuff. But I tried to just stay in my own shit, stay detached from his shit, and enjoy my little old dad. He's becoming a little old dad, having some trouble with the stairs, that kind of stuff. There's no joy in my heart. There's no glee in my tone. But uh, life will humble you. And then I got this email. The dad stuff always gets me. You know? This just subject line, thank you. Dear Mark, I just wanted to take a second to write and compliment you on the recent interview you did with Billy Crystal. I had the pleasure of listening to this talk while driving from Chicago to Michigan, where I was going to hook up with some family for a small vacation. At one point in the trip, we were all in my father's car on yet another long drive across the peninsula when my dad asked me if I had anything good to listen to. I told him about your recent conversation, and since he too is a big Billy Crystal fan, he told me to put it on. At first, I couldn't tell if he liked it. My dad will give a pilot quiet to things he doesn't really enjoy. And for the first few minutes, he seemed to be doing just that. And now you think right here he could insert, but I fast forwarded through the intro. But no, he said, but then Billy started talking about the draft lottery and how he was so lucky to get a high number. My dad started reminiscing almost immediately about his experience during that very night, an experience he had never spoken of before. He told me how he was 18, a freshman at Penn State, watching terrified with all the other guys in their common room. Most of them, including my father, were not called till late, but he went on to say that his friend from childhood had his number called in the first 100 and just a year or so after that lottery his friend was killed in vietnam needless to say your conversation was very thought-provoking and it enabled my dad to tell us about a part in his life that i and even my mother and my aunt who were also in the car had no idea about it was a very moving moment and i feel that it brought me closer with my father so for that i say thank you keep up the great work i love listening to the podcast and i hope to see you the next time you're in chicago Boomer lives, Chris. That I'll tell you, man. That makes this the best job in the world. It really does. It's great to hear that you know if something that we put out there and that conversation provokes other conversation. I just beautiful. Got uh, got a little choked up when I read that the first time, Chris. Thanks for sending it. Now, another Chris is on my show right now. Chris Garcia, very funny comedian uh, who talks about his father as well a lot in a very touching way. His album, Comedy Album Laughing and Crying at the Same Time, is now available. And it's going to be out in root beer colored vinyl on September 30th. That'll include a digital download with a bonus track. You can also go to chrisgarciacomedy.com for his tour dates. This is me and uh, the lovely Chris Garcia. I think that the first time I met you was at Rooster Tea Feathers. Yeah. You were featuring for me or doing guest spots. Was that the week I was there with Siroff? No. no it was you, me, and Sam Mur- Sam Morell. Right. Who was that guy? He was like an East Coast guy? He's a New York guy. He's great. Yeah. Is he around? Yeah, he's around. He's doing super well. He is? What's yeah. he doing? I don't know. He's always like, he's like a Comedy Central guy. He headlines around uh-huh he's on tv and stuff and he's really funny he's like he's like yeah, one remember. of the new york guys that are kicking butt but that was the first time i met you you were there i thought you were odd you had a weird <laughs> energy you seemed sweaty to me uh you had a guitar and you used that but i thought it was funny i thought it was very funny 
Oh, I enjoyed you. your act, but I couldn't get a handle on you. I thought you were some, you were just an odd sort. Oh, that's. You were kind of like, I didn't know if you were gay or weird <laughs> or, you know, like you didn't know how to talk. <laughs> really? You thought I was that? <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> I, I, uh, that I put that off. Uh, I remember you being grumpy and you, you were pacing around and you'd stop every once in a while. You'd be like, you a San Francisco guy? And I'd be like. Yeah, you go, oh, okay. And then you'd walk away, and then you'd come back, and you're like, you going to play guitar? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, hmm, all right. <laughs> and then uh, you're like, have fun. He was like, you told me, you told Sam, he's like, you're going to go out there and do your New York shit. And Garcia, you're going to go out there and do your uh, sweet, sensitive Latino thing, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Uh, so I was right. I, I thought it was, I, I was, interpreted sounds, that as a compliment. I sound like I nailed it. Yeah, you did good. Was that the week where I was all mad about the sound system? Yep, you were very mad about the sound system. Oh, and I forced them to change it, and like, and they tried to adjust it, and it sucked more. Yeah. But I heard that they went out and got a whole new system since then. Yeah, because of you. They did? Yeah, they did. I think the very next day, they got a new system. Does it sound better? Have you been up there? Yeah. I don't remember the sound quality being that bad to begin with, but it, was it sounded bad. good. It was bad. Yeah. So, what is the story now? Now, you just auditioned for SNL, because I know I got a text from you. Okay. What happened with that? I don't know. It's uh I haven't heard anything yet. Um but yeah, they flew me out there. What and, what was the process? How did it happen? Uh well, they asked uh, my manager for me to submit a tape of characters. Do you have characters? Yeah, I do characters and stuff. You do? Yeah. Like what? Me and Singer do that show Underbelly yeah, where we yeah. do characters and stuff. So you have a bunch you've invented? Yeah, a bunch of characters. What are their names? Uh, there's Manny. <laughs> yeah. Manny, he's from Ecuador. His yeah. father's a toucan and his mother's a witch. Uh-huh. <laughs> he's just like an odd yeah. little guy. And uh-huh. I do a bunch of different characters. Wow. I had yeah. no idea. Yeah. You do impressions? Not really. Uh, I do... Uh, no, I did... In the thing, I did Pablo Escobar uh, reviewing Narcos, the TV show. And that was that was fun. But uh, I don't, not really an impression guy. So they flew you out. Flew me out. Yeah. And uh, since I, you know, the tape, I was like, I have no chance of getting this. I'm just going to have fun. Right. I, I wasn't even going to uh, do it because I was like, I'm leaving for Cuba on like my honeymoon tomorrow. Yeah. I don't have time for this. And I was like, oh, I'll just put it together. And they liked it. And then they brought me in to audition at UCB. And I was like, I have no chance. Right. And, you know, people were like. Other people backstage doing push-ups and shit, yeah, and yeah, like yeah. getting all hyped. Really, and, uh, there was that going on. There was that, and I was like, I got no. Sh- I'm not even a UCB guy. This. Oh my god, and, like, people doing warm-up exercises in the dressing room, singing and stuff. Really? And, yeah, people were getting really getting their game. This is a lot of people's dreams, and they were really psyched. And uh, I just was like, I have no chance. I'm gonna have fun. And then Comedians. I had fun, and uh, they called me and said they wanted me to fly out and go for it. And, uh, you know, you did it. I didn't, uh, Yeah, but it was different. Not really, but... So you did it. You went to the studio. I went to the studio. I tried not to get psyched up about it and yeah. just have fun. But, right. like, I was like, oh, my... They put, you know, you put you up right across from 30 Rock and, yeah. and all this stuff. And I was, you know, I just got a little... I started getting, like, pumped up. Right. Like, it's, like it was a big thing. So I went for a run in the rain. I was like, I got to run. And uh, I started thinking about, I was like, 
I was get I was trying to find mental leverage and I was in like just running through the rain Rocky style and I was thinking about I was like my dad was a fucking political prisoner for two years in Cuba and my family lives there I'm not scared of this Canadian fuck <laughs> like this guy's motherfucker cannot scare me this is nothing this is a privilege <laughs> and then I ran through the rain and the first thing I see in Central Park is Jose Madi it's like the statue of like the Cuban he's like the Cuban Abraham Lincoln right, he's like right. the national hero right. and I see it as a sign oh, yeah, I start it's all going crying and shit and I'm like I, really? I like I run up to the statue and I like put my hand on it. I'm like, ah, oh. and uh, I by at that time I was like, uh, I'm not, I'm not playing it cool anymore. <laughs> like I am not yeah, having crying fun. in front of the statue. <laughs> yeah. I just got so pumped and touching then, the statue for good luck because you, uh, you thought that all things were moving your way. Yeah. That what that cannot be a coincidence. Yeah, that I end up in front of this statue of Jose. What's his name? Madi. Madi. Yeah. 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 And then uh, you know I went in and. You know, tried to have fun, and I, it was, it was all right. Yeah, how'd you do in the room? It was good. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, you know, they try not to laugh and stuff. Yeah, but uh, I got some chuckles, and uh, it's intense. Yeah, they make you wait for a little while. You and saw Lauren sitting there. Saw Lauren and the crew. I think I think he was there. Like it was like it's just a blur. Like people are just like thirty feet away, and right. these little rafters, and they have their little note, right, books and stuff. And so, um I don't know. It's not in my hands. I had fun. Mm-hmm. It'd be cool if I got it. Maybe one day I'll tell my kids that uh, I got to audition for it. You're, that you're already planning that story? That I'm already planning that planning, story. <laughs> are you you can do the rough version of what you just did for me now. Yeah. That like all the signs were there, but but the uh, he let you down, Jose. <laughs> what's his name? Jose Mati. Jose Mati let you down. <laughs> yeah. You disappointed the entire country of Cuba. Yeah, my family, everybody. <laughs> I could have been another national hero. Yeah, yeah. There could have been the Chris Garcia the statue. First Cuban on SNL. <laughs> Would no. you have been? I think so. I think there's only been like uh, Horatio Horatio's, Chilean. I think. Is he Chilean? Yeah. And uh, uh, Fred's Venezuelan. Right. Half Venezuelan. Right. So you would be representing Cuba. This would be a good move politically. I think. I think I could make the change. Yeah. I could be. You know. It'd be a, a good thing for Cuba if you got SNL. Oh, it would be. A, it would be huge for a both. victory. I could be like Rocky in right. Rocky Four. You would, you would be the wall coming down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. Uh, I don't know if that would be. <laughs> so, but where were you born, dude? I was born here in L.A. in Inglewood. Really? Yeah. And you, both your parents are Cuban? Both my parents are from Cuba. How many siblings you got? I got an older sister. She was born in Cuba. Really? Um, yeah. So I'm the first one in my family born here. Um, and yeah, my sister's older than I am because my parents um, they just didn't have a kid for a while in Cuba like uh, right after they had her things got tough and then they moved to Spain and they always thought about moving to the United States so they, like, they held off was Spain easier th- is that an easier move I mean why Spain um, well yeah it was an easier move to go into a big yeah my dad is an exile and he was pretty much kicked out of Cuba so that's where he went we during the revolution that is that, that can't go that far back. How right he wasn't? No, my dad not in the mid sixties. No, it's like the late sixties. And yeah. um, here, move that down a little. Here we go. And bring late sixties. There you go. But I actually just learned a lot of his backstory that I was not um, ever really kind of told by my family because he just went to Cuba. Because I just went there. Well, I want to get to that, but I uh, okay. We can fill in the backstory. What was the story that you got as a kid? So you're growing up in Inglewood. Yeah, 
Wait, how did you end up in the Bay Area? Are they are they still here? Uh, yeah, my parents are in L.A. Um, okay, so you moved to so that was your own move. Yeah, yeah, I I lived in Inglewood and then Westchester for a couple years. Westchester, uh, New York. Westchester, L.A., okay. just right next to LAX. That's okay. where I grew up. Oof. And then my parents uh, they lost their house, and so they moved to North Redondo. So, like to a uh, apartment in North Redondo so I can go to a school in Manhattan Beach for high school. But so you had the beach. Redondo's a nice beach. Yeah, it was nice. My, yeah? Yeah, my parents, uh, yeah, they moved to North Redondo so I can go to school in Manhattan, a school called Miracosta. Uh-huh. And since my dad was out of a job, he uh, was in the adult ESL program. What's ESL? Uh, English is a second language. Uh-huh. So my dad was in the like uh, bungalow across from my classroom. And so my dad went to school at the same time as me for my first year at that school. Was that embarrassing or nice? Uh, that was pretty embarrassing. Oh, really? Because he was just always there. Like, I I was in... Did you eat lunch with him? I did not eat lunch with him. He tried. Oh, you iced your dad? I was a teenager. Wow. Yeah, I, would, I did not eat lunch. I tried to avoid it. And so, like, so, like, other kids are like, is that your dad? And you're like, no, yeah, but it's all right. You just saw him eating by himself? Pretty much. I don't know what he did for lunch, but oh. I, I was just in that in those bungalows for homeroom, like second period, and then after that, I was just off to my other classes. You're out. Yeah, I was out. You but I would see him every morning. You didn't go to school together. Yep. He Sometimes. took you to school. He yell at me and stuff and embarrass me. And he was su- he tried to get super involved, like with baseball. He got super involved, and because you know it's like a Cuban pastime, and uh, he. I didn't make my sophomore year. I didn't make JV. I made frosh soft. Yeah, and I told, and my dad was so pissed off about it, and he straight up was like, "You didn't make it because because you jerk off too much." He was like, "You <laughs> masturbate too much," and he's like, "You got nothing left on the tank," and uh, nothing he, left in the tank. And he totally called me on it, and it was kind of true. Like I was just like jerking off too much. <laughs> How did he know? I, well, they know, huh? Yeah, small apartment. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and he, was he, he was waiting. He was waiting to turn that it. on you. Yeah. Oh, uh, did you do that in front of people? No. Oh, yeah. Well, that's good. Declare it in front of my biology teacher. Well, anyway. what was his job like? Like, what did you know about him in terms of what was the 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 family mythology of why he had to leave Cuba? Um, I the mythology was that it was really tough for him for being not communist, uh-huh. and he was sent away. To um to work in some fields yeah and then uh because he wasn't communist and he was separated from my mom and my sister who was like a year or two old uh-huh. and then after that he was uh like kicked out of the country and he like moved to Spain that was a story that was a story and what did what was his occupation when you were younger uh, a machinist so he worked like at um, aerospace jobs and uh-huh. stuff like that and even though I think it was frustrating for him because he was really smart and mm-hmm. um, kind of like an engineer type but yeah. he came to America as like 37 like his late like mid late 30s right. and so he was just like he just got factory jobs as a machinist uh-huh. and just worked as a machinist the rest of his life but by the time he started high school, he'd been out of work and he couldn't really speak English or what? Yeah, his English wasn't strong. Like mm-hmm. he came in his mid-30s and he, he just hit the ground running and just right. started working immediately. So he spoke with broken English and was always trying to figure out a way to, like he's very ambitious yeah. and he put a lot of that into me just to focus on me to have a better life. Yeah. But he um, uh, he was always trying to like, you know, hustle, get a better job and stuff like that. So while he had unemployment or whatever he's like i'm gonna try to improve my english to get a better job Uh uh-huh and your mom was did what 
My mom was uh, like a um, a s- electronic assembler, like oh, she really? a factory worker, where uh-huh. she like she'd do whatever. Like she was a person. If you see like a keyboard that says like inspected by number thirty five, like, oh, yeah. that was my mom. She'd like she was number thirty five. My mom was number thirty five, <laughs> and she did that. Um, Pretty much your whole career. They both they were both factory like blue collar. Wow. Did your dad work over at LAX at all? No, he didn't work at LAX, but he worked at like those aerospace companies over there, like uh-huh. uh, McDonnell Douglas, oh, and really? Northrop, and Rockwell, and JPL. Like he bounced from place to place. Uh huh. And as the economy got worse in the '90s, a lot of those jobs went to like overseas. Yeah. And so jobs like more manual stuff, like machinists, those jobs they started got disappearing. Pushed or, out started going like in other right. being made by robots and right. stuff. So he had a very skilled trade um that and just specific, started disappearing. Right. Yeah. And when you were like younger, was baseball the thing you wanted to do? Or did were you just doing that? Oh, I loved baseball. Like yeah? it was the What position th- were you? Uh pitcher, first base and uh right field. All the left handed stuff. Uh huh. And I wasn't very athletic, but my dad is a badass. And he, at a young age, I already knew how to like bunt and throw yeah. a curveball. And he's like, a big baseball guy. Big baseball guy. Who was your team? I'm a Dodger guy. Yeah, yeah. So I grew up with the Dodgers, like hometown kid. Yeah, I just grew Did up. You with, go over to watch the games. When I would go kid? to the games as a kid yeah. and watch Fernando and like Steve Sachs, all the like the uh-huh. 80s. Yeah. So all right, so you're going to baseball games. You're an LA kid. Are you like, do you have friends? Do you have a car? Are you going into Hollywood? Or when do you start getting interested in, um, you know, fucking your life up with show business? As a little kid. Yeah. Just like uh, being a latchkey kid. And how much older is your sister? 12 years. Oh my God. Do you know her? Um, I know her pretty good. Not mm-hmm. like uh, someone that's my age, but right. we're pretty, we've gotten closer and closer. But by the time I was eight, she was out of the house. Right. She was married already. Wow. Um, still married? Still married. That's good. Yeah. Nieces and nephews? I got nieces and nephews and everything. Oh, you're I'm like a uncle. regular guy. I'm a regular dude. Yeah, maybe that's what I was sensing <laughs> when we were working together. I'm like, what's wrong with this Yeah, guy? what's wrong with this dude? This Looks like he had a pretty good family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So so when you were young, you started moving towards... Yeah, I was just like class clown. Like I was always, even at, when I was in a Latin school, I stuck out because I was light-skinned. Or it, when I transferred to other schools, yeah. I, you know, I was, I had a funny lunch, yeah. you know, or my parents spoke funny. Yeah. And we had a shitty car. So it was always kind of <laughs> an of outsider. Car? Yeah, what kind of car? My parents had a Gremlin. They had a Nova. They've Whoa. had like a bunch of old, now cars that would be kind of cool. Novas are pretty cool. People yeah. hot rod those things. Yeah. So that type of, you know, yeah. American car. Yeah. Good American car. The Gremlin was an odd the Gremlin, car. A Dodge okay. Dart. Oh, yeah. yeah. Those are pretty... The, the People like those, too. Yeah. Because you make them go fast, too, I think, right? Yeah, you can make those go fast. The Nova is what people love. Or am I thinking of a... Yeah, Chevy Nova. You could turn those out, yeah, right? Yeah, those are badass. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. So, you're that kid. I'm that. I'm just the kid that's, you know, I'm hanging out and all my other... Like, I went to a, a Catholic school in Westchester when I grew up in Inglewood, which is... Westchester's a little... Um, at the time, was like a better neighborhood, and my parents didn't want me to go to school in LA, USD. Mm-hmm anymore and so i went to a school in westchester and all this like immigrant kids were just like it was the kids that had mustaches in fifth grade <laughs> or hanging out like the you know me and the palestinian kid and the lebanese kid and the italian kid and the filipino kid the russian all, kid there was a russian kid and uh, it was just us uh and our little un yeah, yeah. <laughs> that we had in the corner and uh 
And it was, you know, it was the same kid for same kids for like a long time, same 30 kids in the same school, but it was mostly like, uh, so you're always like isolated with those kids. No, I mean, they ended up being okay, but I found out that my way to assimilate and become friends with people is to be the funny kid. Right. And so I looked back, I was at my mom's house looking through storage the other day and I found a yearbook from when I was like in second grade and it was signed by Sister Perpetua, like the nun that said, to Chris, the comedian. Oh, like, really? And I was just like always, either because I was- That was a nice way of saying you were a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a very nice Irish Catholic way to say that I was a pain in the ass. But I think because also I spent a lot of time at home by myself when my parents were at work, I was just watching- you know, the Cosby show and right. just watching like and all that I after... love Steve Martin right. and all that stuff. Were you watching those uh those afternoon talk shows or was that before your time? Um I watched some of those. Yeah. But it wasn't really but super they weren't like, too. Well yeah, but they weren't featuring comedians then. Like there was that gap. Like you weren't you're were probably too young for like Merv Griffin and Mike Douglas yeah. and all that shit that I saw when I was a kid. Yeah. I guess there was Jenny Jones. I think she was a comedian. She was a comedian. Yeah. I think she was from Seattle. I yeah. don't know what happened to her. I don't know. She was kind of a comedian. Yeah. I'd always see her pictures at comedy clubs. I never saw her perform or anything. Yeah. And she did a talk show though, like a Phil Donahue style. Yeah. On like channel, not one of the yeah. major networks. She was yeah. like uh, channel 13 or 11 or something. How's your uh, Cuban? My Cuban? Yeah. My Spanish? Yeah. Oh, it's great. Yeah? Yeah, it's- uh, All intact? All intact. Is that straight up Spanish or is it Cuban Spanish? So I'm not being kind of- No, no, that's fine. Uh, Cuban Spanish is a little different. It's faster. It's very loud. Yeah. It is a very loud Spanish. A lot of slang. Yeah. And you only pronounce like half the word. (laughs) And so sometimes, uh, so when I was there at first, uh, it took a little getting used to. I was like, okay, I have to really turn it up. (laughs) And by the end, it was fine. But at the beginning, I was like, hola, como estas? Yeah, yeah. And by the end, I was like, oye, tipo, como hey, coño? Hey, hey. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was a really- Got the intonation I going? really got the intonation, because I wanted to, because it was like, you know, I think- Was it second nature, in a way? I mean, what, did you grow up with that, or were your parents sort of like trying to, to speak English? My parents, I mean, I always spoke Spanish at home, and I still speak Spanish with my family, except mm-hmm. for my sister. Right. Um, and they're not, they're not super- um, kind of flamboyant like you right. know like they're not you know, like that they're more yeah. mild-mannered my but, dad's like a hot-blooded cuban type of guy yeah but he was he's uh you know he's not uh loud and obnoxious he's and, not out in the street playing dominoes he's not not in the Is street that wrong? Not that that wrong? A, no 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 that's cool uh <laughs> but he's like more he's not like super miami you know right. miami's like more flashy and yeah. everyone my dad's like you know, he's an engineer type and you stuff. Have, you have to understand the only images I have of Cuba are are like people smoking very large cigars yeah. and playing dominoes in the street. Yeah. Does that happen there? Yeah, people are smoking cigars. People are playing dominoes. Yeah. People like, are driving old cars. Right, because I, I almost went. We were trying to plan a trip. I don't remember which woman it was with. <laughs> but uh, but before, I, I, I guess it's now getting a little easier, but, you, you know, when we were looking into it, you had to fly through Mexico, from Mexico City or somewhere. Yeah. And then, you know, it was very vague about whether or not, about renting a car, about whether there was lights, about where you stay. Like, it, it was not, like, as as interested as I was to maybe go there before it opened up, it, it seemed like it wasn't going to be an easy trip uh, in terms of getting there. And I'm not... You know, I I can handle a lot, but it just sounded like oh, I don't know. I've traveled with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, where did we go? We went to. We just went around the Midwest and stuff. We went to. Oh, that's we right. Cleveland yeah, and Minneapolis yeah, yeah, yeah. and Chicago. Yeah, you did all those shows with me. Um, 
It's uh, it's not easy traveling. You know, there's always it's a little complicated. No, no, no. With you, it's easy to travel. Yeah. In Cuba, yeah, it's like it's not things are never. There's a lot of bureaucracy. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of like uh, uh, almost like secrecy. Like it's hard to get an answer, a straight answer from someone because it might affect somebody else. You know, so uh-huh. you're like, you ask someone like, "Hey, how much is a cab to uh, you know, in Malecon or something?" And they'll yeah. be like, "Ah, I really don't know." And you're like, "Oh, you really do know. You just don't want to say the price because it might." someone else might try to get a different price right. out of you and then you're the person that snitched on what the right price is. Really? And so you got to ask like a, a bunch of people sometimes to right. be like, hey, how much is this? And they're like, I don't know. Somebody's like, oh, it could be 20. And you're like, it's not fucking 20. It's We're, like five. So it sounds like <laughs> a, then, a little bit of an aggravation. Nah, well, it's it's just different. Wait it out. aggravation. I was just like, it's just a little more complicated than it is here. All right, so now you're like in high school, you're watching TV, you're doing this shit. How do you end up in the in the Bay Area? How do you end up committing to to comedy and and uh you know when does that start i mean class clown business and i was class clown i went i finished school at uh in manhattan beach and then i went to community college for a couple years and then i went to berkeley to finish off uh you know the rest of my education so you really locked down huh you got the you got community college and you locked in your grades in high school are okay or not good enough or what yeah, they were fine, uh, you, but I just couldn't really afford, and I wanted to go kind of do a better school yeah. than I could have, right? Um, because I think after a couple years, at first I felt a little lost in high school, and then I was like, oh, I can do this. I can. Right. I did Model UN, and that was big on me. With your, all your old friends that you came up with? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We just took over the world <laughs> in these simulated debates, and uh, it made me kind of, I traveled a little when I did Model UN, and I went to Georgetown and Berkeley to do these debates. And I was like, oh, I could, I can roll with these kids. I could. And be in front of people. I could be in front of people. Yeah. Those early debates were like early stand up because I'd yeah. just be like the funny. And you'd write it all out? I'd write it all out and do little routines uh-huh. and like win debates. Like yeah. I was a decent, I was a good debater. And I don't, I don't uh, know anything about structured debate. Yeah, I, I didn't really either. <laughs> but well, like, you just you make your point, they make their point. You answer back, they answer back, and, and then, then you you, see? you talk. You start a delegation, and you like figure out little ideas with other countries. Like, oh, well, that was the com. That was the the UN part. That was just the, debating. Yeah, right. And you'd go up, and you'd you know, and have a position paper, and you'd read your statement and stuff like that. And you never then, thought about getting into politics or service. I did at that time, but that was just I don't youngster know, stuff. little youngster stuff. Um, but so I was like, oh, I could. And then I remember I did a debate at Berkeley and I was like, this is where I want to go. What was it about Berkeley? It was just cool. Like it was, you know, my parents are very conservative Cubans yeah. like a lot of Cubans are. And Berkeley is the opposite. Right. Of that. Conservative so, what? With uh, like Catholic conservative? Yeah, they're, they're religious. Um, they're just, you know, a lot of Cubans come from Cuba and they're like, you know, communism, socialism, no thank you. Right. I'll just be the opposite of that. So, right, right. Um, they're Don't good like, people, but that's right. how, you know, they're so more So conservative, the like uh, fiscally conservative? like Fiscally, uh, you know. Real pro-capitalism. Yes. Like, you know, my dad was just like Ronald Reagan all the way. Make like, your own way. Make, yeah. like even, you know, this space industry and right. like that stuff kept yeah. my dad in business because he you know right he made parts that went in the space shuttle or were part of like you know yeah naval ships it's yeah like he worked in that so he was like he's he was usa all and the he way he felt that connection he like felt you know when, when the shuttle went up he's like, hey, like oh yeah. yeah i remember when i was a little boy and the challenger happened and it just like destroyed it was like really hard on him because he took so much pride in 
working in aerospace and stuff like that. And he would tell me when he was a kid in Cuba that he would like think about, like he would stare at the stars and think about space really, and think about and know that like, well, you know, know, they find out now that the guy, you know, someone tried to rally against that. One of the engineers knew that the seals wouldn't hold at a certain temperature. It was really only a crazy. Oh dude, the guy, I think he might've just died, but but it was a burden on him his whole life. He tried to argue. He knew that the seals, like they couldn't take off in the temperature they were taking off in because the seals would, would not tolerate it. No. And he told them that, and then he was voted down. Yeah. And they fucking just winged it and blew those people up. Yeah. That's it was crazy. one of those stories. And he, he, he lived with the burden of, of, of not being able to convince. Wow. Like he stood his ground, but it was not enough to make them not send it off. Oh, that's nuts. Yeah, yeah, I heard on NPR. Oh, of course. Yeah. Well, well, I, well I, it wasn't your dad's fault is what oh, I'm saying. Oh, no, thank you. Yeah, it had nothing to do with whatever parts <laughs> he made. It'd be great if it was. <laughs> It'd be horrible. This is what I'm here to talk to you about, Mark. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Going to break big news. <laughs> so you're up at Berkeley at the hippie school. I'm at the hippie school. Hippie Ivy League school, right? Ah, no, well, for is a cow. It? No, it's not Ivy League, oh, but it's, it's a you good, know, good school. Yeah. And so I went there. I was also like in love with a girl that went to school in, in Portland, like a high school sweetheart that went to school in Portland. So I was like, well, Berkeley's closer. Were you going up there too? Uh, yeah, I would go up there and go back and forth. I got my heart broken. I started a bunch of shitty bands. What you, oh, you played guitar in bands? Yeah, really? guitar and sang. Really? Yeah. So that was like what I saw and what you still sing about. I, I haven't seen you with the guitar in a while. Yeah. Um, the La Bamba joke. Is that on the record? It's on the record. Okay. With the guitar? No guitar. No oh, guitar. Oh, really interesting. You chose no, no guitar. Yeah. Like, it was hard to let it go. Is that what happened? No, it was like, a, it was a phase that I went through because mm-hmm. I didn't, I started uh, stand up with no guitar and then I was like, oh, I'm going to just play Try guitar. to integrate it. Yeah. Many a person has tried that. Yeah. Few, few keep it in. Yeah. Hard to transcend the, uh, the, uh, the reputation of the guitar act. Yeah. And don't so, want to have the. Uh, I don't want to be the guitar. No one yeah, wants to be the guitar, guitar guy. guy. But everyone's like, oh well, I guess he's doing guitar. Yeah, now and he's then. a guitar guy. Who's Chris Garcia? The guy with the guitar. Oh yeah. god, he Nothing. Closes, oh, god. closes with that guitar bit. Oh. <laughs> it was a phase. No, I had good jokes. I had good stuff that came. No, out I liked there. it. I liked it. So you were playing in like uh, sensitive emo oh, punky yeah. bands. A band called uh, uh, called Love Minus Zero. What? <laughs> yeah, I know. So Dylan song, you know? Yeah, yeah. But that, it was very emotional. Uh-huh. Very, I also was a uh, creative writing poetry major, so I was pouring my heart out into poems. See, this is what I felt from you. That's what it That's, was. It wasn't, you felt this little heartbroken yeah, kid. Yeah, it wasn't the normal guy. I was like, this guy's got it's got some heaviness. <laughs> Seems sensitive. Seems sens- Yeah, that's what I felt. That yeah, I'm a like sensitive a, guy. We I'm not, but I'm not like a crybaby. I don't wear it. I don't my... know that week. <laughs> <laughs> I do cry. I, I thought you might cry that week. But I'm not a wimp. Uh, but I am sensitive. I, no, no, uh, I, I, I like, you know, who am I? I'm, I'm a pretty big pussy. But, <laughs> but, but you know, we ended up working together. We traveled together. You opened for me. We were in Cleveland together. We had a nice conversation with the, were you there for oh, that? You yeah. Remember when we sat there? That was an amazing moment. That was really cool. Like, because we, you and I performed in the same theater complex that Dennis Miller and Bill O'Reilly did a show, like literally down the hall. And we were out front. I was smoking a cigar. You were you were smoking cigarettes. You still smoke? No. And uh, that guy sat next to us, and he had gone to the 
O'Reilly thing, and, and I chose not to bring politics into it, and he just laid out his life for us. It was this interesting Southern life. He was a vet, right? He was in Vietnam, wasn't he? Yeah, he was in Vietnam. And like, he just like, and it, it, we, you and I had that realization that if, if I'd brought politics into it, we would have not had that conversation. Yeah, we would we would have been just pigeonholed the guys like, oh, that guy's an asshole. Right, and it was just this beautiful kind of, it was moving in a way. And it he, was super he, human. Yeah, and he seemed to get emotional too about, you know, talking about this stuff. It was pretty wild. Cleveland's interesting. It was cool, and it was like, it felt so symbolic. We're just sitting on a bench in the middle of the Rust Belt. That's right. <laughs> talking we, about, Amer- not talking about politics, but. Talking America. Yeah. All right, so. So you're in Berkeley. You're yeah. being a poet. Yeah. So you study poetry, creative I studied writing. Poetry and Did creative you publish uh, some poems? I had some stuff, and like I, I worked at the literary magazine. Like yeah. I was like a editor, like I did a that entertainment editor or some sort of editor. Dude, this is what I'm telling you. <laughs> you saw. Yeah. You see me and you. Yeah, I mean, I was the editor of the Literary Journal. I wrote poetry. I was a, uh, you know, I was that guy. I killed that part of me. Me too. <laughs> we didn't though. <laughs> we really did. I tried. I yeah, burned those tried. moleskins, but I that part did still. you. Yeah, oh, I found some poems recently when I was looking through stuff and whew, taking it pretty seriously. Pretty serious. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I never understood that because I wanted to do poetry too, but there's you couldn't pick something with less of a future. You know, comedy has more of a future. Like you know, it's like if you're going to be a poet, you probably got to stay in academia. Yeah, and you got to publish poems that are only important to the other other poets and a few people that read poetry yeah. still it's so insulated and precious i think it's important i like reading good poetry uh, occasionally yeah but uh but i i don't know what the future is in it I, it was so my parents must have they never were like that's you shouldn't do that but i, I can't imagine them sacrificing you didn't feel the weight everything. of it yeah no, i didn't really feel it because uh, I was, you know, academia. And right. I was really pursuing this. And you graduated from Berkeley? Yep, I graduated. It took me a while. Yeah. I didn't do it in two years. Like, I took some time off and went back and finished. I um. When did you start stand-up? Because I think stand-up's a reasonable extension of poetry. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I did poetry slams. I would do, like, funny oh, poetry no. slams. I know. And then I went did through a big Did you ever go up phase. against Jamie Kilstein? No, I did not go up against Jamie Kilsey. I did go up against this guy, Bo Sia, who's a great, he's still like a good uh, poet guy that I looked up to. But the, I was, there was like a big scene in Oakland and Berkeley at the time. And that's another taste. I think I was always kind of skirting stand up, but didn't do it. I was in bands. I did poetry. Right. I did, uh, I took an improv class in college. And while I was there, the director of the science theater at the, there's a public science center. Uh huh. And, um, the uh, director was like, hey, we have a, a children's theater. Uh, would you like to be one of our improvisers? And so I got a job doing improv for little kids. Oh, how was that? About the brain. Uh, it was really cool because I was just like 20 or something, and all the other improvisers were like seasoned Bay Area improvisers and actors who were who had like a good day job with benefits. So right. they were all really talented, and I was like the new kid. That was, Who were they? Did you know any of them from television or anything? No, but they were all like working professional mm-hmm. actors that mm-hmm. were like part of companies and stuff right. like that. And yeah. so I did improv about the brain and this uh, troupe called the Brainiacs. Uh-huh. And we would, you know, do outreach at schools for yeah, like an yeah. entire auditorium. Oh, really? Yeah. And I would present science shows and like dress up like a wizard and oh. like do like science performances you, for kids. Good Samaritan, good hearted guy. Yeah. Teaching and, the kids. But then that was also stand up, like right. a 45 minute routine of me like you know putting an onion and some liquid nitrogen and like <laughs> being like what's gonna happen kids and the kids are like yeah and like me rallying these kids and 
you know. So you got to do all the experiments and make smoke? I did this. I made the smoke. I put the kids on the Van de Graaff generator where their head, yeah. hair would stick out and stuff. And it, it was like a 45-minute science comedy routine. And then you have that nice relationship with kids. Yeah. It's all of fun. Kids. Yeah. And so that was nice. And then eventually I was like, I have to do stand-up. Like, I just wanted to. And then I... Uh, what was the slam audience like? Because a lot of those people do funny shit. A lot of snapping. Uh, oh, a lot really? of that. A lot of head nodding. But uh, you got some good laughs, right? Yeah, I got laughs. I just did... Uh, for that sort of thing, I didn't pour my heart out or do anything right. political. You, I was just deliver the stupid. goods. Yeah. yeah, I was just silly. Yeah. Um, so that was fun. So I was like, oh, I love... I've just always liked being the class clown and center of attention from debate to poetry slams to music to yeah. everything. And I was like, well, obviously. Final Frontier. Is stand up like my childhood dream is the thing I really want to do. And Really? Was it? Yeah, since I was a little kid. Why? Who'd you watch? Who Steve you? Martin was like it. That was it. I was it. Because I was just a little kid alone in a room. My yeah. parents were gone. And I would just watch like Wild and Crazy Guy and clips like I just had like a bunch of VHS tapes. Yeah. When I was a kid, I loved Gene Pompa. Like oh, he's great. I he's, used to love Gene Pompa. I was a hey, kid. Little I was bear. Like, yeah. Hey there, little bear. Why the long face? Like that joke and like that joke about the her his boy his girlfriend's dad. And be like, your toothbrush tastes weird. <laughs> and uh, I was like, and I knew he was like a Latin guy. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this guy's like a weird latin guy that yeah. did not i mean he doesn't make a huge deal out of it he yeah. does talk about it but he, above all he's a weirdo and yeah. i was like this guy is like my hero and yeah. so i really does love, he know that uh i when i first started comedy i sent him a message on face on myspace and i was like hey i'm doing a show in la this is going to sound odd but you're my comedy hero would you do the show and he was like really flattered yeah. and uh he ended up he, he couldn't do it for some reason yeah but um, I don't think I've actually ever come across him. Like, I've never really, really seen him since then. I haven't seen him lately either, but I definitely liked watching him. Oh, he's so cool. And he, he had that weird different... thing he did with his mouth to kind of, like, I've only seen a couple of guys do it. It's like, you know, he'll deliver a line and he'll kind of half smile. You know, like he does this, like, almost oh, yeah. like he's about to laugh at himself. Like, it's a charm thing. Yeah. But he know he's like kind of shy. It's like he's right. embarrassed and he's about to laugh because he made a funny. Right. But he's not going to give it. Right. Slack. But it's a device. You it's know, a that, total device. And I don't know if he, if he, I, I'm sure it just happened naturally. Yeah. But I've only seen a couple of guys do it. Rick Avilas used to do it, also oh. Latino. Well, Rick Avilas was a street performer and then he became a stand up. He was in Ghost. The movie Ghost. He was the the scary guy, the murderer in Ghost. Oh wow, yeah, that guy. Yeah, he passed away. No, oh. and uh, his brother's a, a stand-up too. But he was another guy who did that thing with his mouth, and I always remembered it because it was a way. It was an interesting yeah. thing because it makes the audience want to laugh. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, and and I always liked watching Gene. And then he started wearing hats. <laughs> I remember Gene before the hat, and then he wears the hat. He's a hat guy now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I don't know where he's at. He yeah. used to be an improv guy. I think like he's still imp- there. I see his name around. I just I I just don't roll in the same Oh, circus. you gotta go meet him. I got to. You gotta tell him that. I've never heard his name come up. Yeah. Especially someone's comedic hero. That's a very uh a flattering thing. Yeah. That that he was the guy. And there's another guy, Alvarez Guedes, who's like a straight up Cuban comedian that just had uh he has like forty records in right. Cuba and my parents and I would listen to it all the time driving to my sister's house. Like they would just listen to stand up in the car uh-huh. wherever we, whenever we drove somewhere. Like, and, how, and the delivery, what was it different? I mean, like how, how does Cuban comedy work? Um, it, it was like jokes, like set up punchline, yeah, like yeah. one liners. Some of them were like street jokes that he just used in his act. Sure. But his 
timing is like impeccable. Even if you don't, I was imagining, I listened to it recently. I was imagining what it would be like if I didn't understand it. And it would, it seems like it would still be funny because just the intonation in his voice and it's just so classy and you could just, the timing of it is just like so, so perfectly performed. It was like stand-up. So it wasn't um, broad, like uh, character driven stuff. Oh no. He, it was like about, it was stand-up about life and life of, as being a Cuban, like he has this famous joke that I love that my dad would tell all the time. He's like, so uh, Fidel just decided when they're going to bury his, uh, what he, he's made his funeral arrangements already in case he dies. If yeah. he, they're going to bury his feet in wherever he's like Matanzas, because that's where he took his first steps. They're going to bury his heart in Havana. Yeah because that's where he poured out his heart. And he just like went through his whole body and was like, and they're going to bury his ass all over the country because he shit all over the fucking thing. Like he just had like jokes like that. You're like, yeah, yeah. whoa, that's like a heavy political, like yeah, a good, yeah. it was like, you know, he delivered it way better. But the punchline was like, oh, that's a good one. So, so he didn't live in Cuba. No, he uh, he left. And so he would do comedy in like Miami, Miami and yeah. New York and stuff right, like right. that. But he had like over, I think 40 records. Wow. But my parents had them all. Oh, and wow. And we would just listen to them and like, it was super as a family? live perform. It was like a live stand-up right. record. And, and you do that as a family? Yeah, we'd listen to it in the car as a family and just like crack up. And my parents, my mom's very funny. Uh-huh. And like, it's like a funny. Oh, that's sweet. It's like a funny family. Yeah, and yeah. So that, you, just like, I think maybe subconsciously I was like, well, this is what I do when I'm a latchkey kid alone. It, and when I'm in front of the other kids at school, I'm starved for attention. I get laughs there. My family, when we're together on these car trips that are nice, we're listening to comedy. It's just comedy is just always there. Well, how did you start stand up in the in like uh, you started in San Francisco, like at the Punchline, or I started. Uh, yeah, I mean that's the home club. That's where everyone goes every Sunday. Right, all the young comics to, to wait it out, wait a year for a spot. I didn't know that until recently. Yeah, yeah everyone just you got to sit in the back. Ali, I talked to Ali Wong. Oh yeah, we started the same month. Yeah, and I had no idea that was the system because when I came to San Francisco, I was already kind of established, so I didn't have to come up through that. But I had no idea that you had to wait for a year, that yeah. Molly made you wait for a year. Yeah. I, I think it's a good, I thought it was a good way to like- You just watched. You just watch and sit there every Sunday, and finally, like, you get the courage to talk to Molly, and as a young comic, it's very intimidating, and you're like- She's hey. intimidating as an old man. <laughs> yeah, she's a badass. Yeah. And so I was like, uh, you know, hey, I've been, uh, my name's Chris, I've been waiting for a year. She's like, okay, well, I've seen you around, so well, I'll let you know. And you're like, and then you just sit and wait. But were you doing comedy other places? Yeah, uh, I would do all the mics and stuff, the brainwash cafe is yep. where everyone starts. Right. And then, you know, it's a laundromat. Yeah, I remember it. It sort of came to be when I was there, like in the early 90s, I yeah. think. It's been around forever. Yeah. The guy, Tony Sparks, uh, who runs it, he's like really passionate about it, really great to young comics. Yeah. And that's where you start. And then you do, at the time, there's a mock cafe, which is like this other, it's like in the Mission, and there yeah. was like a bunch of uh, luggage store, which was like some weird art space on uh-huh. Market Street. Uh-huh. Like It was all really kind of dingy places. But at the time, it was like Moshe and Weinbach and Shang Wang and Louis Katz and all these people that I really What's admired. Louis up to? Uh, he's uh, He just got a job writing for a show in New York, um, I think just last week. So he, oh, good. he was here for a while, and he just moved back to New York. Okay. Yeah, yeah no, I, I always liked Louis. So, all right. So you, you come up through the ranks there, yep. and that's when I met you, I guess. Yeah. Not that long ago. Five, what is it, five years ago? About five years ago. It was just a couple years in. And then uh, you have this amazing break in your career. Your dad gets Alzheimer's. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it was the best career decision I ever had was convincing my dad. To, <laughs> How is he? Uh, 
Good. Thanks for asking. Or he's he's hanging in there. Yeah. You know, he's uh he's safe and he's in a home and uh, he's you know being taken care of and stuff and it never really ever gets better but it'll plateau for a while when right now it's like he's just kind of calm and um hanging out. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's you know it's tough but yeah. he's uh he's He's here. Yeah, he's here. He's in Long Beach. Mm-hmm. That's where his uh, home is. And do you go see him a lot? Yeah, I go to see him on the weekends. For like every other weekend, I go visit him and stuff. With your mom? Uh, sometimes with my mom, sometimes not. Mm-hmm. But my mom's there all the time. She's there like yeah. four or five days a week. Hard. Yeah, but they're, it's it's amazing like how dedicated she is to him and how sweet he still is to her. Like He still carries her purse and stuff. Oh, like, really? He's Even though he doesn't always know it's her, he's like still... Yeah, uh, it's, the habits are deep. My mom's always says like, "You can tell which husband here was uh, a bad guy, which guy was cheating." <laughs> like she could always tell. She's like that guy, like, and she points him out. She's like, she's like he tried to grab me." <laughs> like she's always like very. She'll say stuff like that but about she's, like, the other uh, dementia the, people, the other guys. Like she'll be like, "That guy trying to grab my ass. That guy trying to grab my ass. This guy." Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And I mean, she kind of, she's kind of she likes the attention, but yeah, like yeah. she's like dad <laughs> is always very. Like he's like a good yeah guy. And polite. You can always tell like he's polite and uh-huh. sweet and stuff. Yeah. It's still hard, huh? Yeah, it must be hard. But uh, but it's nice everyone shows up and you, you know I, I I don't I can't imagine what that's like really to to watch the memories go. But yeah, it's not. It's especially because my dad had such a vivid memory. He, uh-huh. like, he's an amazing storyteller. He could yeah. put you right in the place. He could talk about anything. Like he was very well read. He'd talk about. Uh, like Celtic folklore or something uh-huh. and just tell a story and he'd like put you right there. You'd tell a story about when he's a kid, uh-huh. all these things. And, and that's just gone yeah. now. And yeah. so I, how do you frame it? Just that sometimes this happens as a natural course for life it, for some people. And you, you know, you just kind of accept it, I guess, huh? That what Alzheimer's disease? Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's, it's a terrible disease. It's like you, you know, there's no solution to it. And yeah. Just, and it, unfortunately a lot of people get it. Yeah. And, um, just people don't know how to fix it. And yeah. Yeah. It's like, no, it seems like people don't care about old people. But you still enjoy the time with him. Yeah. And now I feel like it's weird, but it's like a very calm time and we're very, I'm just sweet. I just want to hang out with him right. even though he doesn't know who I am anymore. Right. Like I just like, I'll try to dance with him or sing with him or yeah. like tickle, just to get any emotion out of him uh-huh. is kind of a beautiful yeah, yeah. Thing, because it's um, just in one little moment like that could just like make an entire four-hour visit or sure, something. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a um, connection. Yeah, it's a, a connection of any sort. Uh-huh. You know, like before I got I got married in October, and I went to talk to him before. Even he really, I he doesn't really. Sometimes he'll remember me and like smile or something. Yeah. But I just went there, and because he didn't come to the, he couldn't come to the wedding. Yeah. And, I just went and I just had, I just talked to him. I was like, Hey dad, I'm getting married. It's going to be awesome. Uh, thanks for showing me how to be a good guy. Like all this yeah, stuff. Yeah. 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 And, uh, I started bawling Yeah. and he just like hugged me and patted my back and <laughs> tried to force my mouth into a smile. Yeah. And it's, it was just, and I, you know, put a yeah. smile on my face. Yeah. And yeah. It was yeah, beautiful. Yeah. And like just any, a moment like that is just, um, yeah, it's all, it's you know it's very beautiful and I'm lucky. Yeah, where he could show up on an emotional level. Yeah, you know, that's deeper than the memory. Yeah, right. Totally. And and uh, your wife, um, where did you meet her? Uh, we met in San Francisco. We uh, we were coworkers, and uh, we met where? At, we worked at Rooftop Comedy. 
oh, where wow. she um, she was like a editor and producer, and then I was just like the homepage uh, guy that I would like pick the clips and stuff like that. And uh-huh. We met each other there. So you're in comedy. Yeah, in comedy. Yeah, yeah. And so, and that yeah. was when they had the big uh, nationwide network of cameras. Yeah, they had that. The uh, they still do that. I think they kind of changed. I think they're more into. I don't know. They've changed. I think they've rebranded themselves, and I think they're trying to produce shows. Yeah, I think they're partnered with or Audible something. or something. Yeah, doing stuff. Yeah, with Audible and I stuff. I just learned that today. Yeah, or yesterday. Yeah. So now, how's marriage going? Good. Yeah, it's awesome. Are you gonna have a baby? We're, uh, you know, in a couple years. Oh yeah. Yeah, we're gonna enjoy. How being, old are you? I'm 38. Uh huh. And uh, I th- right now we're just gonna enjoy being married for a little bit yeah and i'm gonna keep on making some traction in the comedy world sure man and then uh well you got the you know you've done my live show i you know you did a live wtf and we've been and you work with me on the road you make an appearance in my special more later yeah and ira glass uh heard you on my show i imagine and then put you on his show yeah and got you a bigger bigger audience always swooping you know (laughs) i think he does sometimes But that was a good venue for you, the This American Life. Yeah, right? it was really, it was a really nice and special. It's like the thing. I'm just so proud of that. Yeah, yeah. Got you a lot of attention, I imagine. I think you know some people noticed. It got attention for people like all over the world, who, right? Like whose, you know, parents have dementia, sure. stuff like that. Sure. It got a lot of like hundreds of messages from people that were really touched by it. And, oh uh, yeah. It was nice not to feel so alone about it. Uh huh. And also f- to find the humor in it and and be. Um, you know, to balance that humor with the emotions, I think probably provides people who are in the same situation with a lot of relief and and the freedom to to maybe look at it a little differently. Yeah, I, I, that's what I, I think. So that's yeah, I, a, that's kind of the point of it. I think. Yeah, you know, I, I'm not going out to do that, but I think that's what it does. It's well, what yeah, it does it's for me. You, right, you've got to process it. Yeah, and in so, the way that you do it with your creativity, and also to sort of balance the emotions of it. Yeah, and so yeah. to make it funny and to find those moments balances it out. Yeah, it's and a it's very powerful uh, shit, man. Soothing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this uh, trip to Cuba was a, a honeymoon. It was a honeymoon. Prolonged honeymoon? Uh, Pro- like, uh, like you waited? I waited. Uh, oh, yeah. I waited a couple months to do it. It was my parents. My mom was not happy about it initially. She was because no, they've never gone back to Cuba. I've never been to Cuba. They, and it they was, have anger about it? Yeah. They just don't want to go. They had a terrible time there. And right. Even though they have all their siblings and uh-huh. family there, they were just like, don't. Don't do it. But yeah. then I was like, well, it's, you guys went on your honeymoon there. I want to go honeymoon where you guys honeymoon 50 oh, years ago good sales pitch. and um dad and i want to get the family history while i still can because can't, dad can't give it to me right so i'm gonna go on this like pilgrimage and stay with our family there yeah so that's what i did so we went and we stayed we went to havana and we stayed with my family for like half of the trip really and i got to meet my whole family that i never met before was traveling there easier because you went right at this time no, it's Where, easy. Well, because of, I mean, I can go straight there and some people can, but we just flew from Miami to. Oh, because you're no a problem. Cuban citizen? Uh, because my fam- uh, be- because my parents are from Cuba, I could just travel there. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, good. So it was easy. Uh-huh. And uh, and who were you with? Your aunt, your uncle or who? Uh, we stayed with my my dad's sister 
And then we uh, eventually met up with my mom's sister. But uh, yeah, we met my dad's sister for the first time. And they're all there, but your mom stays in touch, right? Yeah, they stay in touch. They're, it's, it's like um, they send each other, they send them packages all the time. Uh-huh. They send medicine and money and they write each other letters right, and they right. talk on the phone. And right. that's, stuff like that's become easier over the years. At the beginning, they would like send packages that wouldn't arrive. Right. My dad would get heated on the phone and like yell about communism. The phone call would drop. Oh, really? Like stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So, but now it's, you know, now that things are a little easier, they can, you know, call more and, you know, send letters. Did you freely. meet cousins that you didn't know about? Yeah, I met every, I had most of my family's in Cuba and I met everybody. I met my- For the first time. For the first time. And it was so cool. My aunt is 70. She's so smart and so classy and she's a lot like my dad and uh-huh. she, I look just like my dad. So she just started bawling when she saw me because- uh-huh. I'm the age that my dad was when he left, basically, and so, so she it's like hadn't seeing, seen him. In she person. hadn't seen him in person in you know since the 70s. Wow! And so she sees me, and it was like I cried every day for one reason or another, just <laughs> of like sheer pride. Yeah. I heard all these stories from my aunt, like uh, like I told my aunt, I was like, Mom says that uh, Dad was the best dancer in the neighborhood. Like she yeah. always talks about how good of a dancer yeah. dad was. And she was like, my aunt was like, no, he was a fucking weird dancer. He was like the weirdest dancer. <laughs> and she started making fun of him. I was like, oh, my mom just had the hots for my dad. Yeah, right. And then and maybe he was unique. Yeah. If he was a weird dancer, yeah, he stood out. He stood out. Yeah. And then I met my cousins. They're all, you know, they're all really, I, I didn't know how poor my family, like my parents always guarded me from, I just didn't know how poor mm-hmm. my dad was. Yeah. And I got his whole story and I was really blown away by how incredible of a journey that he's made from being like a street kid oh, to really? like come in all the way. I learned, yeah, I just, my aunt, like I knew some of the story, but uh, like my, my dad, I never heard my dad talk about his dad before. I didn't even know, right. my, I didn't even know my grandpa's name yeah. at all. Yeah. And so uh, I was like, what's, uh, what's your dad like? And uh, she was like, and she showed me a picture and he was like, very dapper and he was a swindler he Mm. was like a con man and apparently um he was like kind of a party guy and loved the nightlife Uh and he would take my grandma out and they'd go out and have a night on the town yeah and he didn't really care for his kids didn't really care for my dad so they would like my grandma would give or my grandpa would give uh my dad and and his sister like robitussin or like like um to knock him out to knock him out yeah and then one day uh, they, you know, they knocked him out and I think my grandma left the iron on and it like started a fire while they were out partying and my, these two little kids woke up to like a fire in the house and that's like one of their earliest memories oh my or experiences, God. like yeah. this fire. And then, but, uh, he was just like, he was just like a, you know, um, womanizer. My dad's dad was a womanizer. And then this one, is like pre Castro. This is pre Castro. This is when Bautista. it was big party time. This is big party. American companies yeah, were coming. Yeah, yeah. Sherman Williams uh, paint company came yeah. to the island. And my grandpa was like, okay, I see how these motherfuckers work. And he faked a workers' comp claim took him for a whole ton of money uh-huh. and then was like, peace out to my dad and uh, aunt. aunt and grandma and left Cuba, just abandoned them and went to Mexico where he eventually started a baseball team. Like he owned a baseball <laughs> team. He was just like, he was like, fuck this, I'm out and just left. And as a result, it left my, my you know, my dad and his family like on the streets wow. and they just couch surfed. 
uh-huh. from their entire youth. And that's how my dad eventually met my mom is like he would like stay on their couch or like stay with their family and stuff. But like my dad was very like they were very poor uh-huh. and I didn't know about I didn't know like they just never had a home. Wow. And then uh, my dad there, there was this time at the time teenagers would in Havana would do this thing called alfabetizad, which means they would um uh, they would go to rural areas and they would tutor rural kids how to read. Yeah. They would like teach the kids uh-huh. on like plantations and stuff like that, uh, just in the country, teach them how to read. And uh, so my dad went and did that and, you know, they get paid and my dad opted to send the money back to his mom so she could, um, you know, get an apartment. Right. And so he also worked and made money at that time and he sent it all home. And after like three months after he was gone, he came home and his mom had spent all the money. Oh my God. And so my dad was like, oh fuck. And so he got so mad that he just ran away and lived in a convent for a year. Wow. As like a teenager. Uh And then the nuns were like, um, uh, they're like, you're obvious. You're a very bright young man. Uh, you're in a very terrible situation. Uh, and they got him to go to this fancy boarding school in uh, the outskirts of Havana in Guanabacoa, which was like a really good school. And then he just went to school there uh-huh. and, uh, you know, he didn't have to worry about where to live and stuff. Right. And then, um, he got out and, uh, he, you know, finished school and his sister had a boyfriend or a husband at the time who made earrings. He was like an earring maker and a jeweler who was making a ton of money. Yeah. And my dad was like, huh, you're making a ton of money making, hand making these, um, earrings and stuff. And he saw that other people were making a bunch of money. And so my dad was like, I'll make an earring press. So he created an earring press that eventually a bunch of jewelers in town started using uh-huh. and uh, buying from him. And my aunt said that, you know, pe- her husband was balling. He was making like 80 bucks a week. And my dad at that time was making $200 a week. Like he was rich. Right. For the first time. Yeah. And so he was like, I'm, he's, you know, he saved up. He did that for a while. Yeah. And then he was like, that's it. We're, we're blowing this place. We're leaving Cuba. And my, he was just married to my mom. Was Castro in by that Castro point? Castro was in. This is the late 60s. Right. Um, and my dad- So the, everything changed. Everything and, and changed. And this jewelry press business had to be on the down low. It had to be on the down Everything's right. on the down low. Right. So it's illegal. Right. Uh, but he's still doing everything. There's a whole secret right. economy on the side in Cuba. Right. It's all, you know. So my dad's balling, makes all this money. He goes to the government. He's like, hey, I'd like to leave. He presents his papers to leave Cuba. And they're like, no, um, you're a traitor. You're not a part of the Communist Party. You're like a Catholic. Fuck you. And so they take him and they uh, send him to the sh- these sugarcane fields where he was in solitary confinement pulling sugarcane like these uh, sugarcane camps yeah where he pulled sugarcane you know sun up to sundown for two years oh my god and like he was put in solitary confinement and he was like um like tortured he was given electroshock therapy and like i'm curious to see what other what ha- resulted with other people at that time because people like my mom suspects that my dad got alzheimer's at an early age because of the, all the electroshock therapy no that he kidding was given and stuff like that and so so your mom knew about all this yeah my mom knew about that stuff I, you my, didn't no they just you. said like oh they sent dad away to this work camp right for two years right but he was you know he was away from his wife and his new daughter 
And he was like, his hands are still scratched from pulling cane all day. Wow. He was like a hundred pounds when he got out. Yeah. And then uh, after two years, and and that was a place where uh, Catholics went. Non, um, they sent homosexuals there. It was this uh, concentration. He's like a concentration camp. Yeah. And that you know he was there. I mean, sixty-seven, like late. Jesus yeah, maybe Christ. sixty-seven to sixty-nine or something like that. He was just in this. And he came out emaciated, and I didn't know when I was a teenager. I was like, "Dad, you're crazy!" Like I didn't know that because of this, my dad had suffered like PTSD and stuff like right, that. Right, right. And so then he goes, you know, he does that for two years, and he's like, "Hey, I want to leave." I like he still wanted to leave Cuba, and they're like, "Sure, you can leave, but you got to leave your wife and your daughter behind." So my dad left and went to Spain. And he worked all over Spain. He worked on like tow trucks and engineering projects, yeah. construction, like all this type of stuff. And then made enough money to kind of bribe or like send my mom and sister to Spain. And then they lived there for a couple of years. And, and then they uh, got it. And then they came here. And then they came here. Oh my God. So now, now after this trip, you go sit with your father and you are the container of these, of this history. Yeah. And it's so heavy. It's so. I just look at him and part of me is almost grateful that he can't remember some of this stuff because it's so bad. Even after he came to the United States, he had such a tough time because he was like, I'm in, like, I'm in America. Well, let's do this. And then he was just like, you know, working right. low in a factory, factory yeah. doing nothing. And he had a tough time and he was like, he was put in an institution for like a couple months because he just had a breakdown. Because really? he was like, I can't fucking catch a break wow like because it's his whole life he yeah. just ha- he, he's just you know yeah i think about like the old man in the sea when i was right i was there there's uh you know the old man they call him a salau it's uh-huh. like the unluckiest of the unlucky yeah and i think about that wow um but then i also think about how my mom is like the gr- like so valuable yeah. to him like she's so, so amazing and so beautiful and so funny and so kind and it gives me a lot of hope because uh, just just about love and and humor. She's so yeah. funny. Just take this guy who's kind of at, you know, so kind of sad about things. Yeah, and just just cheer him up and him being nice and grateful to her. It's you know they've been married for over fifty years and, and they've gone through all that shit yeah. and they've known each other since they were like fifteen years old. And she's still there for and him. She's still there for him. And he as as when he can, he's like there for her. Is there a feeling that there's something peaceful about where he's at now? Sometimes. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Because he's like, yeah, he's mellow. Because, uh-huh. you know, he would blow up all the time. Yeah. Like, he would just, and now I get it, but I didn't get it at the time when I was in junior high and my dad, we moved to Westchester to this house and he was trying to put together a laundry, he was trying to make the laundry room and yeah. he fucked up and he destroyed the fucking thing with a hammer. He just took the whole thing down. Ugh. And I was like, why is my dad like this? And now I know. And I like regret that I w- like at the time I probably don't know how would I would have acted knowing this information. I was in high school, just sure. feel like a fucking teenage yeah. asshole. But like now, it just I have so much empathy and respect yeah. and admiration for him. Yeah, you know. Well, it's glad that you get to own that and and show up for him now. You yeah, know, you, you know there was probably nothing you could have done then necessarily. Yeah. Did you try to humor him? Is that where you sort of got? When he started knowing you were funny, were did was your relationship with him frightened, or were you try? Did you try to to humor the situation? That was more my mom's thing. She was yeah. like, you know, they they spoke their own language, right? Not, you know, it had anything nothing right. to do with English or Spanish, but they just like she would just like uh-huh. just really charm him and like put a smile on his face, and that was their thing. I was more of like a, 
I know I talk about my dad the most, but I was like more of a mama's boy where she just like sure. idolized me. And yeah, just, yeah, and yeah. I was, you know, Latin mom Probably stuff. protected you a little bit, too. Protected me a lot from knowing all this stuff. Yeah. Because I was such a sensitive kid. Yeah. And, and such also, a crybaby. They're like, oh, you can't handle this information. So right. we're just not going to tell you that. We're just going to pretend we're like all the other kids in your school. Right. So, and also from his rage, I would imagine. Yeah. Or his volatility. Yeah. And he never, he never once, he never hit me right, or anything right. like that. He was that. just frustrated yeah he was just frustrated mm-hmm. um i remember when i was a, a kid in high school my dad asked me to make a resume for him because mm-hmm. he was like i don't i just need a fucking job like he had trouble finding jobs and so i made a resume on like bright blue paint i didn't know how to fucking make a resume but i like made a like probably some shitty font like big font. i just tried to make it stand out yeah and i went to fucking kinko's to like print it out and i brought it back and my dad was like what the fuck is this thing <laughs> and the way he thinks he's just like you did this so i wouldn't get a job oh. and then i took the resume i wiped my butt with it and i threw it in his face <laughs> <laughs> And the fact that I am alive to tell that story is like says something really nice about my dad. Like he should have beat the shit out of me. He should have fucking pounded me into the ground. And he was just like, "All right, cool. I guess I'll uh, make my own fucking resume, you ungrateful piece of shit." But you know, that's a I, hell of uh, an act. I just really lucked out. Yeah. Even though you know, uh, you know, my my parents, you know, they went through a lot. But it was all for me, and it, I really appreciate it. And how great would it be if a kid with this life story ended up on Saturday Night Live? <laughs> right. You hear that? <laughs> so you go to Cuba, and you have this amazing experience, and you learn all these things about what you come from and the hardships your father went through in this a very dramatic, painful s- story of transcendence. And and then you go back and do the SNL audition. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, man, this is a piece of cake. I mean, it's not, but I'm like, oh, this? I'm going to be scared of this? My dad was in a fucking sugarcane concentration Concentration camp camp for two years, and I'm going to be scared of 12 white people with clipboards? Right, right. Get the fuck out of here. Right, so that would be like, that explains the moment we talked about at the beginning where you're at that, the reason why Jose Manny? Mati. Mati? Jose Mati? Like, it meant something to you. Yeah, I was like, "Ah!" I really felt like it was like (laughs) that Rocky moment or like, I don't know, Superman, you know, when he leaves. I am my father's son. I'm like, yeah! Like, it really felt like a big... Like yeah. almost like even like a Lion King moment, sure, <laughs> just being sure. raised on the right the cliff or whatever. And now they're making you wait as that moment dissipates. Yeah, you think waiting in a green room for two hours? <laughs> my dad's <laughs> sugar cane concentration camp. I'm not scared of you. Been flying oh. me out to New York, putting me up. Oh, I'm so scared. Yeah, really suffering. <laughs> yeah, but oh man, whether I get it or not, it's just a privilege. Yeah. I mean, I just have a privileged life. You do, man. Yeah, I'm just I, a lucky I think, guy. Sure, and uh, you know, and then have that framework now, given what your, your your father went through, it's a it's a real gift, buddy. And I'm glad you got a nice wife, and and that you know you you know I think that having all this information is only going to make you uh you know uh, uh like a, a deeper person in terms of, like you know what I mean to process that and to you know come out the other side with whatever childhood your memories you have but then to sort of like see him in this whole other way is really a gift yeah. that's going to resolve things for you too i think so it's, yeah. it's uh very inspiring me inspiring it's giving me a lot of hope okay and it's given me an inspiration to be a better person right on man well thank you for talking chris yeah thanks mark uh, 
That was me and Chris Garcia. I like him very much. And now I want to go to Cuba. Now I'm going to be one of those guys though that's sort of like, I should have went to Cuba before it became regular. Uh, I, uh, I could play, I guess. I could play. I'm not feeling very confident today for whatever reason. But um, I'll play some guitar because I know, I know so many of you are just hanging, hanging out away from me to play my shitty guitar.